We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. The Chicago Bears select... Welcome to Picks for Polls, presented by The Bear Report. Your number one source for everything Chicago Bears draft news, analysis, scouting reports, and more. Presented by Blue Wire Pods. And now, making their way to the podium, Andrew Freeman and Usaid Koshal. Welcome to Picks for Polls, the Chicago Bears draft podcast presented by the Bear Report and Blue Wire Pods. My name is Andrew Freeman, and as always, I'm joined by my co-host, Yusei Koshal. We record this episode on Wednesday, December 6th. The Bears are coming off of their bye week here. Weren't able to record last week because, unfortunately, I had a cold going on and was just the voice was just not doing it for me that, this past week. But feeling better this week, and Yusei, I'll go with you. How are you doing today, man? Yeah, you know, I'm doing well. It's crazy kind of how time flies because you're sitting here in – December at this point, you know, so there's still a lot going on in kind of just the football world in general. Yeah, there, there is a lot going on right now. And speaking of that, I mean, let's just get into the big news of the week, which was, you know, not the bears because they're on their bye, but some big news in the college football world, obviously with the selection committee, choosing the four top teams in college football playoff for the college football playoff. And we have gave the, the, the four teams here when you get Alabama, obviously, which is going to be the big one to talk about, obviously. But you get Michigan, Washington, uh, Texas. And, I mean, these, these – the first three, I, I think, were very understandable. But Alabama being in, it really set off a lot of uh, – lots. let's say a lot of emotions on uh, social media – because they were kind of the, the controversial pick. They haven't really been in the picture all year. They win the SEC championship, and they sneak their way in here at the very end, and most notably snubbing uh, Florida State, who going undefeated, uh, they win the ACC. Now, the, the biggest thing for them is that they are missing their starting quarterback now, uh, Jordan Travis, who is out for the year with that gruesome injury that he had, um, and that was, I'm sure, a big determining factor in why – the Florida State Seminoles were left out of the playoff here. What do you make of this whole situation? Because, you know, on the one hand, I certainly get it from if you're just asking for the four best teams, this is probably the best 
four you're going to get, although you can certainly make an argument for Georgia as well. But, you know, in terms of like the precedent and sets, in terms of who deserves to make it and who doesn't, what do you make of all that? I mean, the most generic thing to understand here is that the 14 playoff system is completely flawed and really it's kind of been flawed, okay? Because if you look at the last few years, you know, all we've really seen is basically the same, you know, three or four teams. I mean, you can go back and look at the college football playoff and you always had Alabama in there. And then it was always a combination of, you know, another Big Ten and another SEC team. Now, ultimately, you know, the system makes no sense from top to bottom. The selection committee, I thought, in full honesty, got this thing completely wrong. And part of the issue is that with the current system is that they end up putting so much stake into kind of the last few weeks of the season, especially the championship games for each conference that it ultimately really eliminates, you know, the purpose of what the regular season's all about. Right. So, and again, even that argument I think is a double-edged sword, but you kind of look at it and you say, you know, Florida state, they were ACC champions. They went 13 and 0 the entire year obviously not having Jordan Travis at the end really hurt them which you look at Jordan Travis I mean it's legitimately fair to argue that he was one of the best quarterbacks in the nation right and that entire Florida State team just kind of really put themselves back on the map this year in a major way now the reason I believe they got it fully wrong is simply because it's hard to you could argue this right if you were to go back and look at your preseason rankings you could say that no one had florida state you know finishing as high as they did right and if you did you probably knew them really well and inside out and knew them as a wild card to me alabama getting in is just really unfair the first reason means because we see alabama all the time in the college football playoff and we've become accustomed to that and then the second an ultimate point is you're talking about a team at one point that a lot of people had a lot of concerns on. Like if I'm going to be fully honest, you know, Alabama this year did not look like the Alabama, the old, okay. They were, they did not look like the Alabama of, you know, the days where Tua Tagovailoa or Mac Jones were there and a whole bunch of, you know, top tier guys that are most of them for the most part are now star players in the NFL. They kind of just look like to me, one of those, you know, middle of the pack, one of the top teams that was ultimately, you know, middle of the pack. So to me, I don't even necessarily think that they got this thing right now. Michigan getting in makes sense. I like the fact that we have Washington in there because, again, you haven't really had a West Coast team in the playoffs for quite some time, right? I believe the last time was Justin Herbert and Oregon. Um, and then you look at uh, Texas getting in there too. You know, Texas beating Bama earlier in the season I thought was a major thing. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it really came down between those final three between Alabama, Georgia, and Florida State. Like Michigan, you know, they've been dominant all year long. Uh, they, they win the game, so to speak, against Ohio State. They win the Big Ten Championship. So they had to be in. Um, Washington, they've had one the, one of the most dynamic offenses in all of college football this year. I know there are some flaws in other areas of the team, but Michael Penix and what he's been able to do, um, throwing, the, throwing the ball with all those receivers they have, um, Adunze and uh, just all, all the talent that's on that offense. Um, they had to be in with how they played as well. 
this year. You know, they beat Oregon twice. Oregon, you know, is a, a top eight team as well. So the fact that you have that on your resume, they had to be in. And then Texas, like you said, they beat Alabama at Alabama. Like they've been the best team in the Big 12. They had to be in. Um, so it really comes down to Alabama and and Florida State. And like you said, like, I, I mean, yeah, it's it's inherently unfair, I think, for Florida State to not be included. Because if we're just looking at, at this in terms of on-field resume here, like Florida State clears Alabama no matter how you want to put it. Like they scheduled LSU early in the year. They beat them 45 to 24. They absolutely demolished them. Um, and LSU, you know, they're going to have, you know, the likely Heisman winner when you have James Daniels and the way he's playing that and the way that offense has performed this year. And they crush them. You know, they, they crush LSU in that matchup. So <laughs> they, they make that schedule out of conference. You know, they, again, the, the ACC is not a strong conference this year, but, you know, they, they beat Duke, who's a ranked team. Um, they beat Louisville in the ACC championship without Jordan Travis. And I know that the offense, you know, has not been the same since Travis has been out. But, look, they can't control the fact that their star quarterback got injured at the worst possible time. And they can't control – I mean, they can't control their schedule. But, uh, I mean, they can't – you know, they scheduled out-of-conference games against tough opponents. They beat them. They did everything they are supposed to do. You know, they've had dominant performances – throughout the season. Um, and it just sucks that they, they had an opportunity. I was kind of taken away from them. And I know that they, they probably would have lost in the first round anyway, because Jordan Travis does mean a lot for that team. So, uh, you know, from an actual football standpoint, yeah, I, I get it for why they made that selection. You look at Alabama's on-field resume, it's certainly not as impressive this year. Like you said, they lost to Texas at home. Um, you know, they, they struggled against a bunch of unranked teams this year. When you look at South Florida, they struggled against Texas A&M. They struggled, struggled against Arkansas and almost lost to them. You know, they, they struggled against Auburn in the Iron Bowl. They needed a, a miracle last second play um, or, you know, final drive play to make that work against them um, on a, just a ridiculously like a borderline lucky uh, play at the end of that game. And yeah, they have, you know, a few more impressive wins in terms of, you know, ranked opponents. When you look at, you know, Tennessee, they, they had beat LSU. They played Ole Miss early in the year and beat them. They beat Georgia in the SEC title game. So, yeah, they, they have some impressive wins on the rest of the year. But also, like, this has not been a typical Alabama year, like you said, where they've been the dominant team, the dominant force. Like, it's been a struggle for them for most of the year. And I think if you were looking at these two teams, just what they've done this season, clearly Florida State, was the better of the two in terms of resume wise. But again, I, I struggle. You go back and forth on it. Like you, you can keep on doing this thing where you, where you can argue both sides. Like clearly the Florida state team you got right now is not the same one that you had from early in the season when they were getting all those impressive wins, which I totally get as well. So it's a tough one. Um, it, it, you know, this is, this is the problem with the four team format that they have going on right now is because you're going to get, there are some years where there are clearly just not enough teams to fill up that four team spot and it is what it is. And you know, it's a two team race basically. And you're just playing for the top two teams in the country to face off. And then there are some years like this where there are more than four teams deserving and you have to make really tough decisions. And when you have a sport like college football, which is so dependent on subjective, you know, evaluations of these teams, it just makes the entire thing really almost impossible to evaluate. Yeah, and, you know, I totally agree with you on that, right? Because it's like you 
kind of, I think, go and you look at the entire system. And, you know, it, it it's tough because looking at this whole thing right now and just looking at the current kind of schedule that we're slated to have, you know, you look at it, right, and you kind of say, okay, so you've got Michigan, Washington, Texas, and Alabama, right? And so then the question kind of comes into where, you know, what exactly does this thing look like in terms of who's going where, right? Now, to be fully honest, right, with the um, national championship game here being played in January 8th in uh Houston, right? One of the big things to kind of look at is just like who's going to the national championship eventually, right? So to me, I kind of look at this, right? And I kind of say, okay, you know, you have basically a um chance that you're sending Michigan to the national championship, most likely, right? And then the other question is this is for me, the ideal teams would probably be, I think it's gonna be um Alabama, I feel like, you know, could potentially make it. And that's because I think you just have to be wary of the fact that um, there is a chance, you know, they magically go on a bit of a quote-unquote run here. But also, you know, if I had to pick between Michigan versus Alabama and then Washington versus Texas, you can definitely bet that I'm going to say it's going to be Michigan versus Texas just because I think that Washington, as good as they've been this year, they don't have a lot of the firepower that Texas seems to have. Because Texas, they have stars at nearly every position, every level of the field, it seems like. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Yeah, I think it's going to be interesting. You know, the two th- versus first three matchup, I think, is the more fascinating one because these are two teams that we haven't typically seen in the college football playoff. Like Washington, they were in the, in the playoff when, back when Jake Browning was um, the quarterback for them. And shout out to Jake Browning, by the way, for his performance with the, on the, uh, with the, for the Bengals on Monday Night Football. Um, stepping in there and throwing 300-yard games, being the Jaguars, that was really good stuff to watch. Um, shout out to him for that. But – um, yeah, I mean, you look at Washington again, a team that hasn't typically been in the national spotlight here in terms of a national powerhouse you get here. They have, you know, like I said before, one of the most high powered offenses in all college football, um, you know, Michael Penix, you know, great story in terms of a guy who, um, up and down play battled through some injuries, you know, especially during his time in Indiana, 
um, transfers to Washington and really reinvents himself and um, is kind of like a, you know, a late bloomer here where he's been a guy who has been certainly talented, but just hasn't really put it all together at the collegiate level, puts it all together this year. And he's been fantastic. He's had a Heisman caliber uh, season this year. Um, and he's put himself in the conversation to be potentially a first round pick when it's all sudden done, sudden done in next year's draft. They have all these, all these weapons they have on offense here. I mean, this is a, a really interesting match. I mean, you compare that to Texas where they got Quinn Ewers who, you know, it sounds like he's probably going to be staying for another year at Texas because he, quite frankly, he, he probably should stay for another year at Texas just to raise his stock a little bit. Um, and, you know, Texas, they're, they're in a situation as well where talents on both sides of the ball, the defensive line they have um, at Texas is, is really the interesting thing to watch because Washington, they like to play more of a perimeter game on offense, um, get the ball out to the receivers, attack down the field, and Michael Panix, he can buy – you know he's kind of a statue in the pocket, but because of his release, he is he's able to buy enough time with that release um, point to where he can get the ball out quickly, so that the pass rush can't really get to him at points. Although Washington does have you know a pretty decent offensive line as well, but you look at some of the studs on Texas. You look at Byron Murphy uh, on that defense. You know some of the other guys that are going to be drafted in in this year's draft, um, and they do have the potential to really cause him havoc here um, against, you know, this Washington offensive line. And that isn't even to also point out the weapons that the Texas has on their team as well. You know, they got Donnie Mitchell and Xavier Worthy, some of the speed they have on the outside there. So they're going to be in a spot where, um, you know, they, they have the ability defensively to make this Washington offense work a little bit. And offensively, it's just a matter of, which Quinn Ewers are you going to get? Are you going to be getting a guy who is going to be very consistent, getting the ball out quickly, um, you know, hitting his deep passes down the field and getting the ball to these receivers in spots where they can make big plays? Or are you going to get the inconsistent Quinn Ewers where he's putting the ball in harm's way, he's not hitting on the deep ball, his accuracy is off? You know, those are all things that, you know, could certainly come into play here. Uh, whereas Michael Panix Jr., I mean, it's really just about, you know, him. Um, can you just keep it up? Can you just keep up the consistency here that he's shown all year long? You know, he's kind of waned a little bit as the season has gone on. Um, but overall, he's been one of the most productive passers in all of college football. And then you get to Michigan and Alabama. And this is a game where I just, I don't even know how to predict this one. And I feel like a lot of this is going to have to come down to, you know, Michigan. Alabama is going to force them to have to throw the ball more. I would feel like whether it's, um, the Alabama offense, you know, scoring a lot of points and and getting Michigan behind the eight ball there, or whether it's you know Alabama's front seven, you know, stopping the run, taking away Blake Corum in that run game, and forcing JJ McCarthy to have to throw the ball a little bit more, and that's going to be the more, the most interesting thing for me to see in this one, uh, is because JJ McCarthy really hasn't had to throw the ball a ton this year. You know, he's only averaging, you know, in the, in the twenties in terms of attempts per game, uh, they don't really rely on him to do a lot in that Michigan offense. And, you know, he's played very well this year, but he's been on a very positive game script pretty much all year long where they can rely on the play action passing game. He doesn't really have to process a lot of things. He doesn't have the pressure of having to keep up in shootouts and have to, you know, put the entire team on his back, so to speak. So this will be an interesting test for him. And Alabama, they got the pass rushes as well, like Dallas Turner. You know, he's had his best season 
um, in, in college, really putting it all together and solidifying himself as a first-round pro- prospect as well. Um, he's going to be coming off the edge in this one. He's, he's going to be an absolute terror for Michigan to have to deal with on that side of the ball. And, you know, offensively for Alabama, you know, Jalen Milroe, um, he's been a guy who has really started to come into his own as the season has gone along. You know, there has been some ups and, down, ups and downs um, as the season has, has progressed. But, you know, over the course of you know, the last few games, you look at the SEC championship, you know, the way that he was able to kind of rally that team against Auburn and win that game for them, you know, making some impressive throws down the stretch. There's some impressive plays, you know, including the game winner. Um, you know, I, I feel like this is a situation where Michigan, they've been the better team all year long, but this could be a spot where Alabama, you know, they sneak in here, obviously, to the college football playoff. They could very well absolutely come out here and just absolutely win this game because they have the talent to do so. I know we've talked about how this hasn't been a typical Nick Saban Alabama team, but I don't know. I just have a feeling that with the way that they've sort of put everything together here over this final stretch that they figured some things out. And I don't know. I just have the feeling that Alabama, even though they might be the least deserving of any team in the college football player fear that they're going to, they're going to go on a run here and I can see them certainly winning against Michigan. So, um, Let's just lock in our final predictions, you say it. So um, who do you got again for your predictions for the college football playoff going on here? Yeah, so to me, I generally think it's going to be Michigan versus Texas here, okay? Um, I ultimately think just kind of what happens is this, is that it's – so it's hard to pick against Michigan this year just because if you look top to bottom – this isn't, I feel like, your kind of typical Michigan team, right? They've been consistently steam, steamrolling, you know, teams and opponents all season long. Alabama has really gone ahead and struggled. You look at the other matchup, which is Washington and Texas. To me, hands down, Texas is the best team, okay? You could make kind of an argument that of the four that are in the playoffs, it's Texas, which is the most complete team roster wise, but talent and coaching wise, I'm going to give the edge to Michigan just a bit. Um, I think it's going to be Michigan versus Texas and that Harbaugh ends up winning a national championship. But with that said, I don't think that excludes him from potentially leaving next year and making a jump back to the NFL, which that's not me saying anything's going to happen with the bears. I'm just saying that, you know, all options should be on the table right now. Yeah, for me, I'm going the opposite in both. I, I'm going to take uh, Alabama here. I just think I just had that. Th- I had the feeling that Nick Saban is going to figure this thing out, and they're going to win that one against a Michigan team that, um, you know, th- they've been much more consistent, like you said. But I'm still questioning whether they have the firepower um, to really win a game like this, where they're playing another team like Alabama, who can, you know, win that battle in the trenches and, and win the physicality battle, but also has the ability to kind of win more of a, you know, high scoring game as well. Um, and then I look at Washington and Texas. I think this is going to be a really fun game. I'm going to take Washington. I think their offense has just been on fire all year long. And, you know, even though Texas does have that talented defensive front, I, I still think Washington's going to find a way to score points in this one. And, and like I said before, I'm not sure if I trust Quinn Ewers in a big spot here. It's going to be a big game for him, for sure. And it's going to be a game that could be a really big statement for him. But for right now, I'm taking you know Michael Penix way he's been playing lately. Uh, I'm going to take this Washington team. I think they're a team that just has the good vibes rolling. And then in terms of who's going to win it all, 
I mean, I hate to say it, but we have to go. I'm going to go with Alabama winning it all. I just think, you know, they're a team that is, like I said, I think they're going to figure some things out. And I'm not going to go against Nick Saban, who's been here and done that before many times before. So uh, that's that's my prediction. Um, you know, and look, let's let's shift gears a little bit here as you know, we kind of wrap up the college football um, conversation because we talked about it for quite a bit here. Um, you know, obviously we've talked about how this has been problematic with um, the four-team format here, how you're missing out on teams like Florida State, Georgia, Ohio State, um, Oregon, teams that have been certainly deserving of, you know, playing on the big stage but won't be there, um, you know, for the college football playoff. You know, this is going to be the final year of the Final Four format that, college football is going with so next year they're gonna be expanding to a 12 team playoff so before we move on to some bear storylines here you say any any final thoughts on one you know how do you think the four-team format has played out for college football do you think it's been a success do you think it's been you know not as successful and you know how do you see the 12 team playoff you know working out with the expansion coming next year yeah, you know, I think to me, the four-team playoff system, when they originally introduced it, was kind of like, hey, this is a really good idea. But then I think that, you know, as you kind of go, and it's, again, it's been around for about a decade at this point, but as you, you know, kind of went on and the years kind of progressed, it just was something that ultimately didn't necessarily become and showed that it wasn't necessarily realistic. And that's simply because kind of what has happened is – you always had the same powerhouse teams in it year after year. Okay. Now the 12 team playoff and the 14 playoff was inequitable in a sense. Okay. Because you have a team like Washington that, you know, is I believe in for the first time you have a team like Alabama and teams like Michigan that have kind of been there before. Right. So your four team system kind of catered to the big schools and the ones that made the most money and brought the most money in. The other issue with the four-team system ultimately is that it kind of really took away what the real purpose of college football was. Now, to me, the 12-team system is going to be a lot more fun because we already – People love to kind of go back and forth and just talk about and debate, you know, who are some of the best teams in the country, best teams in the nation – but the 12-team system, in a sense, makes it way more equitable. And it makes it more equitable because, you know, everybody's going to be rooting for the underdog. You're going to have some of your usuals that get in. But then the thing is, is that, you know, to me, the one concern that I would have is the seeding, right? So um, I look at that and I say, okay, let's just say Alabama's number one next year, right? Well, are you really going to go ahead and have Alabama be playing the 12th seed and just kind of do the typical like 112, 211, you know, 310, something like that? But what's going to make it interesting for me is this is I can't wait to see, you know, how a lot of this stuff shakes out. Because if you look at like, again, you know, let's just use the AP top 25 here, right? You've got Michigan ranked as one. Well, could they be possibly be playing Oklahoma, right? You've got Washington ranked at two. Could they possibly end up playing Ole Miss? Now, another reason I find it to be so interesting is because, you know, you every single year appear to have some of these teams that kind of end up right outside that top 
12, top 15 range. Like LSU this year, you know, Jaden Daniels from Arizona. Well, I'm sorry, Jaden Daniels was at Arizona State, and now he's over at LSU, and he took off in a big way. LSU may be ranked 13th. You know, they're a team that you could potentially – you would love to just kind of root for and sneak into the playoffs, right? So it's it's a system that I think is just going to be better designed to give more teams an opportunity to really go ahead and kind of show off their talent and their potential as a program to the rest of the world. And, hey, if a smaller school, like let's just say, you know, SMU makes it right a team that not a lot of people are obviously going to root for or you have a team like you know Liberty or James Madison one of the ones that's been really prominent or even I throw in there Colorado with Deion Sanders they sneak in it's going to make things so much more fun and entertaining when you need mealtime inspiration it's worth shopping Kroger where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie and no matter what tasty choice you make you'll enjoy our everyday low prices plus extra ways to save like digital coupons worth over $600 each week you can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points more savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time Kroger fresh for everyone fuel restrictions apply yeah, I think there certainly are some positives and negatives to it. Um, you know, first I'll start off by talking about the, the the final four format they've had. I mean, you were spot on in terms of like for a while there, it did kind of feel like you're getting the same three to four teams every single year. I, I remember there was a one stretch where it was literally Alabama, Ohio State, Clemson, and then some random team like Oklahoma would sneak in once in a while. Um, and that was that would be kind of it. You know, Washington snuck in one of those years. Like, but every year we knew that we were getting Alabama, Clemson, Ohio State. It was just a matter of one of those three teams is going to win it all. And that kind of made the college football playoff kind of boring in terms of you knew that first game wasn't really going to matter. That first round was going to matter too much. It was all about getting to um, the college football playoff, the, the final game, so to speak, depending on the matchup. Um, but yeah, I, I think as, you know, Alabama has started to lose some steam a little bit, Clemson has fallen off since. Trevor Lawrence entered the NFL, you know, Ohio state, you know, they haven't really been able to get back on that stage ever since, you know, Justin Fields left the building. So, um, you know, they're not quite, and also Michigan has ascended to that level as well. We should also point that out to give them credit. Um, but yeah, you're starting to get some new teams in there now. I feel like there's a little bit more variety in terms of the college football landscape. And a lot of that is helped by the transfer portal being a much bigger thing now, especially post COVID um, where, you know, you have some star players who normally would be either sitting on the bench or, or hidden somewhere on a, on a stacked team. Now they're getting opportunities to play for other schools, and those other schools now are rising to prominence now because of the transfer portal and taking advantage of that uh, with NIL and, and all that stuff that's allowing these programs to get you know some higher quality talent into the building there. So I, I think that certainly makes things a little bit more interesting. And when you go to a 12 team uh, format, theoretically, you know, there should be more parity in terms of um, ultimately with the transfer portal with NIL, uh, you should get some interesting matchups. Now where I think this is going to be a little bit of an issue is that I do feel like, um, you know, you are going to find a situation where, you know, in college football, it's pretty true that once you get to a certain point, 
like the top SEC schools, let's be honest, like the top SEC schools are just on another class when you compare them to a lot of the top um, other teams in the country there. And I know that that wasn't necessarily the case this past year because you saw LSU lose out of conference. You saw Alabama lose um, out of conference, Texas. Um, so it has even out a little bit, but at, at the same time, there is an element of, you know, we often get to these college football games anyway, and the team that is just bigger, more athletic, and just has more, you know, five-star recruits and NFL prospects just ends up wiping the floor with some of these teams that are just undermanned at too many areas that have, are good teams and have had fun seasons, but just don't have the talent to match up. Like Georgia last year in the national championship game against TCU, but did anyone doubt that they were going to win that game by multiple touchdowns? They just absolutely dominated that one. Um, and I think you're going to get a similar situation here, except now you're extending the playoff where there's going to be more games that are just going to be uncompetitive, in my opinion. So that's one issue that I think you're kind of running into is, is that you're going to get you – know, it's not like the you know NCAA tournament where a team can get hot from in basketball, like March Madness, where a team can get hot from downtown if you're a small school and you can go on a run um, in, in some of these matchups here. It's not as easy to do that, I think, in football where so much of it is dependent on size, speed, athleticism, and just those some of those physical factors that go into it. Um, now, with that said, I think from an evaluation standpoint, I think it's going to be a lot of fun because, man, would it be so much fun to have some extra tape on Jaden Daniels in a big spot against you know a big opponent with some actual stakes in some of these matchups late in the year? Um, or, you know, Bo Nix, you know, Michael, I mean, obviously Michael Pence is in this, but, uh, you know, Bo Nix getting some extra tape on him at the end of the year, you know, against some top competition as well. Like some of these top prospects that may opt out of a bowl game at the end of the year because they don't want to get hurt and hurt their draft stock. Now they have something else to play for at the end of the year. You know, you get them into this top 12 college football format um, to where instead of opting out of a bowl game, now they're going to be playing an extra game or two in the college football playoffs. So I think that part of it is absolutely, um, you know, something that's going to be a benefit to college football is that you're going to get more eyes on these guys, more tape for these guys. And it should be something that's going to be, you know, another competitive challenge for them and something for NFL scouts to look at is, you know, when these guys get in these situations against top teams, did they play their best? Did they rise to the challenge or did they, you know, not play their best and kind of, you know, fall falter with the challenge. So, it, it just adds more data points for NFL evalu- evaluators and, um, you know, for a, pe- a podcast like ours where, you know, we're talking about draft pro- pro- uh, prospects here, um, certainly something that's going to be much more beneficial, I think, going into the future. And it just gives us much more to talk about, which I, I think is going to be very exciting from a fan's perspective as well. Um, so with that said, uh, you say before we move on to some some uh, Chicago Bears talk as we enter the final stretch of the season here. Um, any, any additional thoughts on the college football playoff and where it stands right now? Yeah, I mean, I would just say this. This year's this year. I mean, this year, you know, the end, you kind of see it being right around the corner. So I'm kind of excited to really see what next year looks like just because I do believe that that 12-team playoff, it may not sit well with some people at first, but it is still beneficial for the sport. And, you know, ultimately you kind of look at it and then you say this, like, the one last thing I will say regarding Florida State being snubbed and just this whole conversation is that college football, in a sense, right, you could argue that it was it's always been about 
tradition and school spirit and communities rallying. And really when you had the four team system, you never really felt like it was really there. And so this is this 12 team playoff that's coming in. It is not just about getting more teams into the playoff and pleasing the average consumer. No, it's about making the system more equitable. It's about making the system more inclusive. It's basically, I think a, plea by the NCAA and really kind of a PR move in a sense to say, yeah, well, we understand, you know, we were doing it in a not so favorable way for so many years. And now look at us, you know, we're willing to take the tradition and the excellence and the pride that teams, students, fan bases, coaches, and players have, you know, and we're willing to basically take it to another level and we definitely want more of it. Yeah, at the end of the day, I'm I'm totally fine with college football kind of trying some new things here to kind of bring some more more of a spark to the sport. Um, I, I think uh, you know the current format of the college football playoff has run its course. I think there's something there's a need for something new, and we've kind of seen that this year with what with what has transpired. And now you know next year we're we'll getting hopefully something that can add something new to the table um, at the end of the year when instead of talking about all these bowl games that really don't mean anything in the grand scheme of things. Now we get some actual stakes um, to some of these end of the year matchups here against some of the top programs in the sport. Um, all right. Well, moving on here, let's get to, uh, you know, to wrap up the podcast today. Let's talk about some bears football because look, they're coming off the bye week here. Um, but you know, look, the bears, they, they enter, you know, next week going up against the Lions, they're four and eight, five games less left in the season. And while, you know, a lot of the talk for us, for them this season, especially from us, has been draft related in terms of, you know, having the Panthers pick and, you know, the Bears currently, you know, having the fifth pick in the draft with their own pick, you know, what can they do with all these options? You know, can they get a top quarterback? Can they get, you know, Marvin Harrison Jr.? Um, can they, you know, do they even, decide to pick a quarterback to decide to trade down, you know, all, all the stuff that we've kind of talked about here on this podcast. Um, but there are still games to be played here and there's still a lot to evaluate with this team in terms of, you know, look, are they going to move on to a new coaching staff in this year? You know, we talked about Justin Fields at nauseum. I feel like in terms of, you know, where he stands with the organization, but you know, who are some of the young guys, you know, that have been playing well and could be earning roles next year. Who's some of the veterans that, you know, could be a part of this team next year. There's still a lot to kind of talk about here with this team. So you say, when we look at these final five games here, you know, this final five game stretch, um, you know, what are some of the things that you're looking at in terms of players you watch, you're watching out for storylines and, you know, just any, anything that you think that could be really important for us to kind of keep an eye on for this final stretch. I mean, yeah, these are this is an intriguing five game stretch that's coming up because honestly, to me, I mean, the four and eight record has basically been a wash for me for the longest of time now, right? We kind of went into this year and we kind of said that, yeah, this is a team where if these three, four, or five things go well, then you really have an opportunity to potentially push the throne and challenge the lines for the division, you know, that really hasn't happened. And again, the generic answer here of what you're watching for over the next five weeks is going to be Justin Fields. I'll be honest for me. It's not Justin Fields. For me, the focus has now shifted to, and it's not the defense either. For me, the focus is on a lot of these young guys. Okay. Cause what this season showed us is that you have a 
front office in Chicago that's actually pretty darn good at finding talent. You look at last year, well, you found Jack Sanborn as an undrafted free agent. You look at this year, you found Tyson Bajan as an undrafted free agent. The rookies, Jervon Dexter, Zach Pickens, have kind of looked solid despite having to play rotational roles. Tyreek Stevenson has certainly been a tackling machine who, yes, he has his struggles in coverage, but... I also think that, you know, advanced coverage statistics from third-party outlets like Pro Football Focus tend to really be overrated sometimes. And then you look at, you know, the biggest guy for me who I have kind of been advocating for for basically a year at this point is Darnell Wright. I mean, he's been phenomenal. And anyways, you know, you go back and you look at all the stuff that I was tweeting during November and December last year, you know, I was on the spot when I said, yeah, Darnell writes a guy from Tennessee, a player that you need to know and understand. You need to know his name. You have to understand his game just because of how good he's going to be. And I think you could argue he's been better than a lot of people expected. But just in terms of, you know, you're looking at a lot of what this young talent can be, because if we're going to be honest, I mean, sitting here right now, well, there's no guarantee Darnell Mooney's back. There's no guarantee that Jalen Johnson's back, right? So then inevitably it kind of becomes next man up because you could go into a situation next year where you're talking about Tyree Stevenson as wide, I'm sorry, as cornerback one. You're talking about Tyler Scott potentially playing a much bigger role. You're looking at what exactly is that backfield going to look like? Because you have established veterans in Herbert and Deontay Foreman, but Roshan Johnson's another guy who, again, I felt like was really hyped up by fans all offseason on social media and just kind of has not lived up to you know, certain expectations. Now, part of it is because he just hasn't gotten enough reps, but honestly, I think that if he was good enough, they would have given him more reps than usual. And so for me at this point, it kind of just comes down to the development of the young talent because you know what? Veterans like Demarcus Walker, even though he's been here for a year, and Unique Ngakwe has been here for a few months, and Justin Jones closing in on year two here in Chicago, they've had an opportunity to voice their opinion and make their contributions, but they are not guys that are going to be long-term players you know, and long-term pieces on this team. But your Wrights, your Stevensons, your Tyler Scotts, those are really the ones that you want to focus in and key on. Yeah, I, I think the biggest thing is if there is one consistent positive that's been here this year, you know, if there's anything that Ryan Poles can really hang his hat on in terms of you know what he's done the Bears so far and is in the two years that he's been here, is that the draft picks that he is, you know, the selections he's had, you know, we've really started to see their play start to come together here over, especially this last stretch of the year, where you know. Obviously, Jaquan Brissett has been up and down this year, but Kyler Gordon dealt with injuries early in the year. You know, Braxton Jones, he was out for a significant amount of time with that injury that he's had, but we know that when he's been on the field, he's been playing pretty well. You know, to see the guy like Jatiri Carter come in and, you know, look pretty serviceable as a backup guard um, the few times that he was been able to, to get out there this year. Um, you know, you look at this pastor's draft. Obviously, we talked about, you know, Darnell Wright, um, being a guy that has just really stepped into that right tackle role. And it's not an easy thing to do as a rookie to step in and play as an effective right tackle. But, you know, he, he's had his down moments for sure. He's had, you know, he's had to take his lumps, but he's been a guy that has been consistently pretty impressive 
and somebody that you feel pretty confident can be a building block for you moving into the future at that right tackle spot. In fact, you feel pretty good about both your tackles with Braxton Jones and Darnell Wright. So to see that um, play out for Ryan Poles, especially as an offensive line guy himself, uh, that's certainly got to be you know a tip of the cap right there for him to basically secure um, your tackle duel for the future with you know back-to-back drafts. Like that's pretty impressive stuff. You look at some of the things that he's done um, with you know some of the day two picks on this defense. That it's taken a while for things to come together here, but this defense really has started to improve as they've gotten healthier and they started to get more pieces in here. You know, you look at. Kyler Gordon in the slot, he's been pretty solid in there since he's been back from injury. Um, you see the tackling ability that he has in the slot, the ability uh, to play in zone. Um, just a really good fit for this style of defense. Now, there are some issues in terms of, like, is he the best man-to-man cover guy? Um, probably not, but, you know, he, you look at him, I think you see a solid player there. Jaquan Brisker, I think you see a solid player there, even though he's been kind of, inconsistent this year to say the least but you look at this past year's drafts again i said right but you know javon dexter a pick that i was not a fan of whatsoever but he has really started to come on this year and you know some of that has come with some increased opportunity but he you could honestly argue that he should be starting at this point of the year because he's been the better of the two when you compare him to justin jones who um you know justin jones he's he's been fine you know, especially with this this back part of the schedule, but you know that he's just a guy at this point in his career, and you would expect Javon Dexter to get more playing time as these final five games kind of play out here. But you know, he has been someone who, again, a guy that I was not a huge fan of in terms of when he was picked and where he was picked. But you see the power that he has, the natural physical um, aspect of the game that he brings, and you just know that he's raw right now. He's still, you know, not. He hasn't really put it all together yet, but if he can put it all together, you know, the flashes are certainly really exciting to watch. So I'm really excited to see kind of his development. I would like him to get most of the snaps between him and Justin Jones and you combine him with, you know, Andrew Billings and that interior, you know, that's a, that's an interior defensive line that is going to be really tough for teams that have to run on because of the size and the physicality that you kind of have uh, in that unit right there. And Dexter, you know, even though I still have some questions about him, you know, the size and the physicality, the strength, the raw power and the athleticism that he brings to the table, just stuff that you can't really teach. And then you look at some of the other picks that, you know, they've kind of brought in, you know, Stevenson, you know, he's been up and down um, this year, which is to be expected for rookie corner. But what has been talked about as much is that Terrell Smith, you know, a fifth round pick when he's gotten the opportunities and he's been in there, he's been really impressive as well. In fact, you could argue that he's had even a better rookie year than Tyreek Stevenson, and he was a later round selection. So the fact that, you know, even though he's had limited opportunities for him to make that much of an impression um, certainly shows the level of growth that, you know, he's had the development that he's had um, in his in his limited time here. You know, Roshan Johnson, like you said, I mean, he hasn't had, really had a ton of opportunity, but, you know, he, he's been pretty solid when he's been out there. Um yeah, I mean, the draft picks in general have just really, really started to flash here for this team and not just be contributors on a bad team, but guys that have shown that, hey, if they can turn some things around here, these guys can potentially be contributors on when this Bears team is ready to be good. And that's the most exciting thing. You talk about some of the other big moves, like we know how awesome the DJ Moore trade was 
Um, you know, not only getting Darnell right in it as well in all the draft picks, but DJ Moore has been everything is advertised for this team. That's a huge, huge part of Ryan Poles and what he's done here in terms of making that trade. Um, that trade I mean, could very well go down as one of the most impactful in Bears history if they end up making, you know, the right quarterback selection with that pick or, you know, whatever they decide to do with that pick. We don't have to talk about that for the time being. Um, but also you look at the Montez Sweat trade. You know, again, a, a trade that I was kind of iffy on uh, in terms of, like, I saw why they made the trade, but I also had some questions as well. You know, he he has certainly been a huge impact on this defensive line. They've certainly played much better since he's been on there. And, you know, he, he, he's been some somebody that has kind of helped everybody else kind of fall into their role here in terms of DeMarcus Walker being that third guy that can kind of rotate in. You know, Yanni Kingakwe no longer has to be uh, relied upon to have to win as a pass rusher because you have Sweat on the other side who can draw some attention and, and win as a pass rusher as well. Um, so you're starting to see on defense, especially all the pieces start to fall into place here. Um, so from a roster standpoint, I think you have to feel pretty good about where the Bears stand right now, you know, long-term going forward here. The other aspect of this too that we kind of have to mention though is, you know, what's the deal going to be with this coaching staff? I think we all assume at this point that Matt Eberflus and this entire coaching staff is going to be gone at the end of the year. But there have been some rumblings that the Bears still, you know, have a lot to evaluate here. And, you know, they're still waiting and seeing depending on how they finish off the year. So you say it, I'll ask you, looking at these final five games, like what record do you think the Bears need to have in this final stretch for Matt Eberflus to save his job? And, you know, we even go lower than that. Like, when you look at Luke Getze as well as offensive coordinator, like, is there anything that Getze can do to kind of save his job with how this offense has kind of, you know, struggled for most parts of this year? You know, it is – it's interesting because when Luke – well, I'm sorry, when Devin Hester came out a few weeks ago and was like, look, the Bears can't figure it out at quarterback because they just cycle through offensive coordinators – to me, at the time, I was like, you know, Devin, you're not wrong at all, and there's 110% truth to that. And at that point, I was like, you know, maybe you do keep Gets here on for a third season. But just after watching basically the last, you know, three, four games, I mean, it's clear to me that it he can't keep Luke Getzi around. And there's absolutely nothing he can do to go ahead and necessarily save his job at all. And quite frankly, you know what? There's nothing that Matt Eberflus and the entire staff should be able to do to save their jobs. Because if I look at the last five, I mean, you've got the Detroit Lions, you've got at Cleveland, you got versus Arizona and versus Atlanta on Christmas Eve and New Year's Eve, and you've got at Green Bay on January 7th, I believe. To me, honestly, knowing that this team is four and eight, okay, and this just made me completely unfiltered here. I don't see another win on the schedule for the rest of the year because you have Detroit, a team that again has struggled. But the difference with Detroit is they figure it out when it kind of matters most, and this is the perfect sort of game for the Lions to really go ahead and look and say, okay, you know. First performance against the Bears about three weeks ago wasn't good at all. We're going to figure this thing out. Cleveland's got a really good defense. Arizona and Atlanta, well, guess what? Arizona has Kyler Murray back. Yeah, they just lost to the Pittsburgh Steelers, but they're still playing some good football, okay? And 
again, I'm fully willing to say this. If Kyler Murray was not inactive for half the season, you're probably looking at a very different Cardinals team on Christmas Eve. You look at the Atlanta Falcons game, well, guess what? To me, I look at that and I say, the Falcons' record may not be the best, but the Falcons are certainly still more fun to watch than the Bears just because they are more competitive. And then Green Bay, you know what? You want to sit there and you want to kind of complain about how and you want to say yeah Jordan Love's not good Jordan Love stinks Jordan Love that well guess what you know the Packers have figured it out with Jordan Love and it's not like he's kind of taken off in a massive way to the point where you're going to be talking about him as this incredibly elite quarterback next year but guess what Jordan Love is good for what Jordan Love is. Jordan Love is essentially the player that Green Bay is showing along with the rest of that young offense. Yeah, we can build something here, you know. And and so I don't this entire stat just doesn't need to be back because there's no way that you can go ahead and kind of convince me, right? That they all should be back and that you should go ahead and really give them a chance because it's just been kind of malpractice at this point and the season I think was over by the time we got to like week seven or eight right where you start zero and four number one week one was just a complete dud then you start zero and four okay and then you know you beat Washington to suddenly revive your season and then you know it, it's just been a season which to me quite frankly to sum it up it's been underwhelming and it's been underwhelming because you went into the year with a young quarterback with tons of potential, thinking that you were finally going to get it figured out and the franchise was going to break a century-long curse, but they still haven't done so. And that's part of what makes these last five games so frustrating is that like you don't know what Bears team is going to show up, number one. But number two, you probably know that these guys are on their way, on their way out. And number three, it shouldn't really be that hard of a decision for Kevin Warren and Ryan Poles to make. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Yeah, I mean, looking at the schedule here, I mean, I think I, I have a hard time seeing the Bears being the Lions and the Packers. I think both are just better teams. And like you said, the Lions, you know, the Bears probably should have beaten the Lions the last time they played um, each other at Ford Field. But... You know, I, I just think the Lions are the better team here. I th- I think they'll learn from some of the mistakes that they made in that game um, that kind of put them behind the eight ball here. Um, you know, there's a reason why they were able to pull out that game at the end there, and that's just because ultimately they're just the better team right now. I know they've had a bit of a rough batch, and, you know, they're kind of they're kind of frauds in a way in terms of, like, I don't think they're a Super Bowl caliber team just because I can't trust Jared Goff. Um, that defense has been playing, you know, some pretty bad football over the last half of the season. But ultimately, I just I have a hard time seeing the Bears beat that beat that team even at home on Soldier Field and the Packers. I mean, say what you want, like Jordan Love, he just he has looked so much better over the past like five games or so. And Matt Lafleur is in his bag right now as an offensive play caller. It's taken them a while to figure some things out. 
But like you said, like they, they've done a good job of staying patient this year with Jordan Love and, and letting him play through some of his mistakes. And he's rewarded them. He's been playing some really good football. I don't know if he'll ever be an elite quarterback or anything like that. Like I don't think he's he's everyone had that that you know that photo up there, you know, uh for Sunday night football where uh Jordan Love and Aaron Rodgers had like very similar stats, like eerily similar stats through their first eleven starts. Um um, in their first seasons as starters, and you know, look, I, I I don't think I don't look at Jordan Love and I I don't see the next Aaron Rodgers or Brett Favre or anything like that, but I think there is enough there to where he can be a good, solid um, quarterback for them for quite a while. And Matt Lafleur, I mean, he just proves himself every year to being one of the better coaches in the NFL, one of the better offensive play callers in the NFL. The way he's been able to get that group going again after they had some really bad struggles midseason um, has been really impressive. So I, I just don't see the Bears winning that matchup. I just don't think they match up very well. And ultimately, the Packers are just the better team uh, when it's all said and done. Um, you know, you're going to be playing that game at Lambeau as well. So that doesn't really bode well for them, in my opinion. And But with that said, the other three games, you look at the Browns, the Cardinals, the Falcons, I think those games are toss-ups. And if there's anything that – um, Matt Eberflus has proven as a head coach is that his defense, they definitely do play well against bad quarterbacks. And, um, you know, you're getting two bad quarterbacks when you're facing Desmond Ritter and the Falcons and then whoever is playing for the Browns at that point in the season. And, you know, the Cardinals, while Kyler Murray is back, you know, he still hasn't quite found a rhythm as a passer yet um, in that offense, you know, coming off the injury. And the Cardinals are such a depleted team in terms of a lack of talent all across the board that the Bears, I mean, you can make the argument that they're just the better team um, roster-wise right now. So, you know, I could see a situation to where Matt Eberflus finds a way, this Bears team finds a way to win those three games right there. You're looking at three and two in this final stretch here. You know, that puts this Bears team at seven and ten for the season. And... You know, even Flus would have the argument that, you know, the defensive, you, you saw some improvements on defense. Um, his defense started to come together with a lot of the investment that they've made in it over the back half of the season. Um, the, he has his team training in the right direction after they had a tough start. You know, he could certainly argue that they get a new quarterback in here, they get a new offensive coordinator to line up with that quarterback, that they're on the up and up and that, you know, he's the right guy for the job. Ultimately, though, I just, I think if you're the Bears, you can't do that. I, I just think that would be malpractice for this regime to make that mistake, you know, and ultimately, like, look, I, I just don't think – I don't look at this coaching staff and Matt Eberflus is a head coach. I don't see a Super Bowl winning head coach there because there's just too many mistakes for me that I see week in and week out uh, from a game management standpoint. Um, you know, there's just way too much noise in terms of just the way that he handles – and I know a lot of this stuff is semantics, but – the way he handles the media is just really just frustrating. And, you know, I, I just, the, the light game collapses and a lot of the stuff, the, just the really odd decisions, like, and, and the fact that, like, I just don't think he, he brings a ton, you know, from a defensive schematic standpoint that really stands out to me. Like, he's got these guys playing hard in, in his system, but ultimately I think it's a very low-ceiling system that relies mo- mostly on just playing well against bad quarterbacks than actually shutting down good ones. So ultimately I, I'm just not, I I'm out. I, I, I think they, there's going to be a lot of really good head coaching candidates and 
you got to look to upgrade that spot to pair him with the next quarterback here because this is the pivot point for this franchise right here. They've kind of reset things. They've rebuilt the roster. They've set a foundation here. They have an opportunity to do something special this next upcoming offseason to really get this team going in the right direction. I know this competition with the last five games here in the season, but I, I hope that, you know, regardless of the results here of these last five games, that this bears for an office, Ryan Poles, Kevin Warren, that they think about the process here and, you know, they do the right thing this offseason. Ultimately, I think there is a scenario where Eberflus does find a way to save his job, but man, I, I, I'm not sure if I necessarily want to see that play out. You know what I mean? So um, with that said, um, quick right here before we wrap it up, what's your prediction for this upcoming game against the Lions? Who you, who do you have winning? What's the score? Who's your X factor? Yeah, I think the Lions are going to come in here. They're going to win this thing 24-17. I think that, you know, this pass rush this time is actually going to be the X factor. And again, I just don't see a scenario where the Bears are kind of able to go ahead and to hang with this somewhat struggling Detroit team. Because, and I always say this, I feel like teams play the Bears. Teams that struggle at times play the Bears and then are able to just get their season kind of back on track. To me, that's this game for Detroit because Detroit's playing for something. And the Bears at this year, well, the players and coaches are going to tell you we're playing to win the game, but let's just be realistic. I mean, they're playing to finish the year out and look forward to 2024. Yeah, for me, I, I think it's going to be another close game. I have the Lions winning 27-20. to 20. I just think, you know, there's just way too much talent for the bears to kind of overcome here. I think they have closed the gap a little bit, although, you know, it's going to be interesting one because, you know, the lions defense has been playing they're beat up right now. They're, they have been playing some pretty bad football, but ultimately I just, I don't know. I, I think things went so well for the bears the last time. And for most of that game, I'm not sure if that's a script that can be replicated um, a second time in a row, seeing the same opponent, Ultimately, I think the Lions are going to be able to figure some things out. Um, my X factor for the Bears here um, is going to be Justin Fields. I think he has to you know, prove that he can get back into a rhythm here, the Minnesota game. I know he had the game-winning drive, and he did some things early on that kept you impressed. But I still saw a lot of the same struggles that had me worried um, about his long-term outlook, you know, from earlier in the season. I know he's been playing some much better ball since, you know, he, he struggled early on. Um, but this is going to be a Lions defense where he should be able to have some success against. He'd certainly had a good game against them the last time they played each other. So he's going to be my X factor for this one. But with that said, that's going to wrap it up for us here. You know, a lot of, a lot of conversation on the college football playoff and where the Bears stand with things, but um, certainly should be interesting as we get to the close of this season here. So, uh, with that said, uh, for all of our listeners out there, make sure to uh, like, rate, subscribe, and, and follow us on social media as well. You can follow us at Picks for Polls on Twitter. Uh, you can also follow um, the Bear Report on Twitter as well, or X, whatever you want to call it. Um, you said, uh, where can our listeners find you on social media and find your work? Yes, you can find me on social media at Usaid Koshal. You can go ahead and check out my work on the Bear Report website as well. Absolutely. Uh, as for me, you can find me on social media at AJ Freeman 25. You can find my work on the bear report as well. Um, been a little bit slow getting my track in the trenches series out. I just have a lot going on with, you know, grad school and, you know, some, some, uh, 
Man, my, my my coach, my basketball team for coaching is uh, is going to be in their conference tournament this upcoming week. So I got I got quite a lot on my mind coming up. So so going to be a little bit busy here with that. But uh, again, looking forward to this upcoming game against the Lions. I will be there on Sunday, so that should be a lot of fun. We'll see how this game goes. And until next time, Bears fan, have yourself a great weekend and bear down.